when I was preparing in July, I took two days to do the pray through our sermon series over the year. I purposely put this week as an, an off week uh, in hopes that at this point, after having finished Revelation and done baptisms, the Lord put something in my heart to share with each of you. And so today, our text is 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 23, and we're going to go through verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 5. <clears throat> Let me pray. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for this day, Lord. We are grateful for your salvation. Lord, may this word enrich us and enrich our community. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass in all its glory, like the flower of grass. The, the grass withers, the flower fall, fails or falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is God's word. My comments here will be brief because in a moment we're going to have four testimonies from our congregation, uh, folks who uh, signed up to give testimonies. But today's message is entitled, The Belonging of believing, the belonging of believing. As you believe, you belong. And, and there's three points. Uh, belonging, believing, building. Three things that, that we're called to, three things that Jesus does in us as a people. Belonging, believing, building. Our first point here, belonging. Everybody desires, everybody wants, there's a longing to belong. We see it all over our society. It's so evident on social media. It's so evident in the way that people express themselves. Yet the tools for belonging are so often lacking. I mean, think about what's happening in our schools. For, for, for true community, it, there's, so much, there's so much tension, there's so much fraction, there's so much anxiety. Uh, what's happening I mean, you pick any arena, there's, there's, a, lack of, there's a lack of community. I, I, I was recently, I just finished in my personal devotion reading the book of Judges. And the book of Judges, though it was written 3,000 millennia ago, or sorry, three millennia ago, 3,000 years ago about, um, it, it could be a critique of Western society. Because it, the mantra as you get towards the end of the book is that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
and there was no king. There was no central figure helping this, the society to be somewhat, somehow unified. And therefore, it broke down into tribalism. And it broke down into just a spiraling of, of morality. It just, the, the, the immorality, I mean, upon immorality. Even the people who were designed to lead and to bring the, the community of people of God out of their mess themselves were immoral by the time you get to the end of the book. And so it's a critique of Western society. And, and, and so we see there's this, though we have this deep desire for belonging, there's, there's a real dearth of true community. And Peter... The apostle here, he says that community is supposed to be the church. The thing that we all long for, the thing that, the, that the society says that we want, that people express, but is so elusive. Peter says it's supposed to be the church. How do we know this? Well, verse 22, having purified, verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The central imperative is to love one another. And who is Peter talking to? Peter's talking to Christians. He's talking to churches. This is not an exclusion of loving non-Christians or people outside the church, but this is differentiating and saying there is a specific kind of love that Christians ought to have within the church. Love one another. How should we love one another? Earnestly. There's an intentionality. There's a, seem, there's a sense of, 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 of deep desire. And, 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 and furthermore, from a pure heart, there's something that has been transformed in you that you could love people this way. So in other words, it's not something you could do on your own. It's not something that's offered to the world at large, but it is offered to the people of God as a, is a vision, and it's a vision for our community. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture of deep belonging. And as a church, part of our vision is that we would be a biblical community, that there is something more than our Sunday expression that ties us together, that we are a community being transformed in the image of our Lord Jesus. And so therefore, the church is a people of belonging. Now, the reality is for many of us, we could say, well, I've been in churches or I've been in church a long time. I've, I've, I've not experienced that deep belonging. In fact, maybe you might say, well, I, I, I feel, some, sometimes I feel like, well, where do I fit? Sometimes, you know, for in a church where you have multi- ethnic and multi-generation, and you've got folks from different countries, and people, the question, the underlying question may, may be, do people see me? Like, do they really see me? And maybe you feel that way. And there's some reasons why you feel that way. I mean, there's some obvious reasons, but there's some deeper reasons. And, but so, so how is this possible? How do we have this belonging? Well, f well second point, believing. Believing. You see, Peter... You could easily just sort of gloss over this, but he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, verse 23, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 40 about the withering of grass and how flesh is like grass. And it's just so, it's so 
short-lived. But God's word abides, lasts forever, lives forever. What is Peter saying? He's saying that you have been transformed. He's saying that there's something inside of you that is imperishable. It is indestructible. It is of eternal nature, the word of God. The thing that saved you was God's word, the gospel. The gospel saved you. It was preached to you or presented to you by a parent or in Sunday school or you heard it on the radio or however. But at some point, the gospel brought you to the point of belief. And in that believing, Peter says, that is the foundation for your belonging. It's so remarkable because in so many other ways, if you want to belong, there's, a, there's some dues that if you, in other organizations or in other entities. Like if I want to belong to Costco, I have to pay, you know. And, then, and, and I, get, I, get the, I get to go to Costco, but I, the people at Costco, I don't really get those. You know, it's like, well, hi, you know. You know, nice goldfish in your cart there. Um, but it's only in the church that, it's, it's, that our entry point is is something that's external to us, that comes into us, the Word of God, and then it transforms us, and then it's that thing that allows us to belong. And so, as a result, our belonging is not about our ideologies. That's what society says. Well, we can, we, people can, if we have the same ideology, we can fit. Or our, our belonging is not about our you know, ethnicity or our background or social or socioeconomic or what have you, there's something so much deeper. The Word of God transforms you. And because it is in you, it can transform you into the community that has this deep belonging. Religion, this is what the gospel does, but religion says, you have to love people because your salvation is on the line. So it doesn't matter that they bother you. It doesn't matter that they get on your nerves. You, you better do it. If you want to be saved, you better do it. That's what religion says. And it creates, this, it creates this burden. It's like when I was reading my younger two, a bedtime story, Dr. Seuss, Solly, and Maddie. And there's a story about a turtle who he says, everything I see I own, I rule over. And he's sitting on top of the, the little pond. He's like, I rule over that, I rule over that. But he's like, if I get a little higher, I, I rule over a little more. And so he calls the turtles in the pond, hey, come, make a big, st stand on top of each other. I'm gonna climb on top. Now look at what I rule over. Until the one turtle on the bottom, he's like, hey, uh, I'm hurting down here. Uh, this is hard. This too much pressure. Can we can we stop now? That's what religion does. It it puts all of this pressure on you to perform. But here's what society says. Society says, society says, well, actually, you belong to yourself. You are your own, and you belong to you, and therefore, you're your life, don't let anyone tell you what to do. You be you. Go live, go live your dream. Go do your thing. You be you. The problem with that, though, the challenge with that, Alan Noble in his book, you, um, 
that you don't belong to yourself, Alan Noble. He, he writes that the challenge of Western society in this you belong to yourself mentality is that if I'm create, if you're writing your own narrative, if your whole life is about the choices that you make to live this significant life, what happens if you choose the wrong thing? What happens if you go to the wrong school, or if you choose the wrong major? What happens if you land in the wrong job, or if you chose the wrong career? I mean, what happens then? Now, what's the value of your life? You see, what Western society, what our culture offers us, actually, all the pressure's still on you. It's still on you. And so as a result, what Alan Noble says, he says that we have to self-medicate because of all the anxiety, all the pressure, all the tension that we feel. And, you know, he talks about all the ways that people self-medicate. I mean, from online shopping to online, you know, to social media, to substances, to addictions, to, I mean, so many things. So on the one hand, religion puts the pressure on you. On the other hand, culture puts the pressure on you. But the gospel sets you free. The pressure's not on you. The indestructible, incorruptible seed of God's word lives inside you. But the gospel is also very real in what it describes of who you are. Its anthropology is is real. On the, one hand, on the one hand, it says, yes, you can, you can, by God's grace, love one another. But on the other hand, here's what it says in verse, verse 2. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn. Community. It pushes us against the thing that we desire, the, the longing that we want. There's something in us that pushes against it. And so not only is there grace to love, but there's this grace that God gives us to get rid of the things that's an inhibitor to the community that God is calling us to. And he says to long for the word so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. It's true. We often think about the word of God as being, and it is, it's what helps us to grow in our relationship with God. Peter's saying it actually helps you grow up in your relationship with other Christians and other people because it helps you to see who you are and challenges you to live in a way that honors him. Lastly, building. Jesus Christ builds his church. We see in verse 4 and 5, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Jesus is building this house. As you come to him, that's a, there's a signifying of worship. That's a you plural. As you come to him, as we come and congregate, there's a building up that happens as we worship. He's making us into a house. He's making us into a temple where true worship happens, where your life, the things you do, the little things they matter to him. They are an offering of sacrifice that's pleasing to him. And so what Jesus desires, and really what we are called to as a community, is to be a people of belonging, 
of believing and a building. The thing about this vision or a vision like it is it seems, okay, well, that's great. We articulated it. Now let's be it. Well, here's the thing. This takes time. This takes a lot of time, a lot of, a lot of patience, a lot of, a lot of intentionality, a lot of prayer, being patient with each other. And so I invite my, here's the invitation, is that you would say, you know, in my heart, I want that. I want that kind of community. I'm willing to make myself vulnerable in, in small groups, in other ways, that I could be one who belongs and invites others to belong in God's house, that one who believes and continues to grow in God's word so that together we could be built up into a house built by the hands of Jesus himself. Let me pray. Father, Lord, please take my brief words and may they continue to be an encouragement to your people by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that we are being built into a house for you. In Jesus' name, amen.